Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. We read in the Gospel that our Lord made his disciples get into the boat and cross the sea ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he himself dismissed the crowd. Apparently there was a lot of people, as we know, that needed to be cured, that were following our Lord. They were sickly people. They were needy. They were looking for a miracle or a favor from our Lord. And word got around, and and, and our Lord was very busy. And at some point, it even says that he doesn't even have time to eat, even take care of his basic needs, such as food and drink, is something that he just couldn't do because of the pressing need to take care of the suffering of people. And of course, our Lord came precisely for this, to save us and to save so many people, not only from physical illness, but especially from the interior illness called sin. But at the same time, our Lord feels the need to have moments in which he gets away from the hustle and bustle of the crowds in order to find solitude and silence with his Father God. And that's why it says in the Gospel, and when he had dismissed them, meaning the crowd, he went away to the mountain to pray. The mountain in the Bible has always been seen as a privileged locus, as a place where we meet God. Think of Moses, who went up to the mountain to pray for a long time, 40 days at times even, where he would meet our Lord. And even when he would come down from the mountain, he had to put a kind of veil over his head because his his face was so bright because he was reflecting the glory of the Lord that people couldn't look at him, you know. And there was something new, there was something different. There was something special about Moses when he came down from the mountain. And we can only imagine how that must have been when our Lord went to the mountain to pray. And and we literally see that, how he turned to light at the transfiguration. And, and the apostles can't really look at him because it's so bright and uh, a scene that they even kind of fall asleep. And so when we see this need that our Lord has to get away and to pray and to be alone with his Father God, how could we, who are in the middle of the world, also not see the need to do the same? In this talk, I would like to cover the uh, an annual norm, as St. Josemaria called it, in our plan of life the norm of an annual retreat. St. Maria was very fond of, of retreats yearly. He would spend a few days in solitude. Sometimes he would just do them by himself and he would just get away. He, sometimes he would even go to um, a monastery or a convent where they would allow him to just be alone in a chapel and they gave him a room, they gave him food, 
but he was there alone praying. Later on, he would do them um, in a way that was preached by another priest, one of his spiritual children, with meditations and talks and other pious devotions, while all the while keeping the silence throughout those days so that he could uninterruptedly find God in, in those moments and actually examine his life and see how he could uh, make it a right again or find those areas of his life, the aspects of, of, of our lives that, that need kind of renewing and need oiling, so to speak, so that we can come back with, like Moses, or like Jesus, with our faces radiating with joy and, and um, a good resolution in, in our ordinary lives when we go back. Every Christian who lives in the world and finds it the ordinary setting where he or she is called to give witness of their call to baptism, I think, needs to get away with our Lord on a kind of retreat every now and then. It's just not possible to continue to feed our lives going at such um, a fast pace where we really cannot stop to reflect. And, of course, getting away for a few days is, is a kind of privilege, especially when we have so many responsibilities and so many people to take care of, and sometimes we even want to get away. But we can think that this is not an escape, and maybe that's why we want to get away sometimes uh, on vacation or just you know forget about everything that's going on in our job. But really a retreat, yes, it could be a time of rest, and, if, and certainly it is. It is a kind of vacation with our Lord, with a loved one. But we are not doing so because we want to disavow of the world or because we're tired of the world and we want to simply escape our responsibilities even if for just a little bit. On the contrary, what we want to do is get away because we love the world so much that we want to then go back to it in a renewed way, with a renewed love. We really discover that the interior life that we have, the supernatural life that we live off of, needs to be cared for just as much as our physical life. And if we find the need physically to go on excursion every now and then, or go on vacation, or go into the woods and just contemplate nature and, and contemplate God and the beauty of nature and all that, we see that just naturally at the, at the human level. How much more is it true at the supernatural level where we can get away and consider eternal truths that actually have to do, you know, with what we can call our hundred year plan? You know, what is our hundred year plan and are we getting there? How are we going to get there? And have we gone astray? Because we need to um, really have our ultimate end in mind before taking the next step. The purpose of a retreat, we could say, is threefold. And this is uh, something that 
um, I don't know if it's explicitly said anywhere in St. Jose Maria's writings, but this is how St. Jose Maria made it, or this is how St. Jose Maria revealed through his actions that this is what he wanted to do on a retreat. The first uh, purpose is to reenkindle our love, making memory of the blessings we have received from God. In other words, we consider the great moments in our life, the love of God, how he created us, our the gift of our faith, the gift of our vocation, of our call, or if we don't know what that call is other than our baptism, which is already a lot, but we think we might receive a further specification of that call, you know, we consider basically what our Lord wants of us, you know, in life and how we can give ourselves to our Lord in his service, whether in the world or out of the world or whatever it is that he inspires in us. These things that we consider, these blessings of God, we can consider them to be the first things, you know, the first things. They are the ultimate purpose of our lives. And they somehow pre-exist us, you know. Our mission pre-exists our creation. Our Lord created us for a purpose. And of course, they are only achieved at the end of our lives. And that's actually also something that we consider in uh, on a retreat, is not only the first things, but also the last things. You know, where are we going after death, life after death? And we consider... And St. Jose used to consider was very fond of, of praying about uh, death, uh, purgatory, heaven, hell, and judgment, you know. And in a way that actually when the people commented when uh, they were attending a, a retreat that he would give, people were surprised how positive he was in his outlook, how hopeful he was, because he would never preach in a way that made God appear to be a kind of a terrible judge that is going to uh, demand exactitude in, in the fulfillment of every rule down to the last, you know, um, I don't know, the last, you know, uh, minute uh, rule that we have to live. It, no, they were so impressed uh, the people that attended St. Jose Maria's retreats that he preached, that he would always be very positive about looking forward to judgment because it would be our Father God who is going to judge us. And he he's the best one to judge us, actually, you know, because he loves us so much. And, and he has forgiven us so many times. And, you know, as long as we love the truth and as long as we have a desire to improve and as long as we take advantage of all the gifts that our lord has given us especially the sacraments then we have nothing to fear it's really a you know going to be a beautiful moment so that's the kind of the first purpose of this retreat to consider the first things and the last things the big things big ideas you know the love of god and life after death the second purpose is to examine ourselves in light of these first and last things. And here, really, 
it is a moment of truth. And during a retreat, hopefully, if if you go on one, uh, like the one Saint Josemaria made, or the ones that he used to preach, there's always time for examination of conscience, and all the meditations give suggestions to to the participants so that they can examine themselves on specific points so that they can identify what has gone wrong in their lives and what can be improved where where the wound is you know where sin has taken over where lukewarmness is setting in or has set in and we need to do something about it to wake us up so to speak so that we can actually change course or reverse course altogether if we're going the wrong way that's the second purpose to examine ourselves deeply in light of god's love and truth and thirdly which is probably most of the time that saint Maria would spend on a retreat is considering the life of our lord and identifying ourselves or trying to identify ourselves with our Lord's life in the gospel. So he would spend a long time praying over the gospels, taking notes, getting into the scenes of our Lord's life, and and just contemplating, asking the Holy Spirit for light to see how he can incarnate the word of God. And so with these three purposes, St. Maria used to keep the silence, the external silence, so he would not speak or he would try not to speak. It was not like a perfectly silent retreat as long as you know our speech doesn't distract us from our reflection and contemplation or examination, then fine, you know, there's nothing wrong with with speaking about something you need or whatever. But the key is not to give in to useless chatter and and things like that. Saint Maria, as I mentioned just now, used to keep a notebook on every retreat. He would take notes, copious notes sometimes, or or at least just be ready because he saw that the Holy Spirit sometimes gives him an idea, even in the middle of the night, and he he would want to be docile to jot it down because it could have many consequences later on in his life and in the life of others. And this is actually how, for instance, his books, The Way, The Forge, The Furrow were were written. These are little points, little kind of adages that he wrote down, you know, on the spot. And then he gathered and collected them into chapters according to topic. But he would feed others through these little insights that he had in the interior life and they have given a lot of fruit for many people and so when we're on retreat we have a it's a special time of grace when the holy spirit is is very active in our soul and if we take notes and we're ready for gathering we could say the water in our cistern then we can be ready to help so many people later on and also ourselves when we are dry. 
Another thing that St. Jose Maria would do on a retreat is, yes, he would walk maybe outside, maybe if it was a place, uh, a conference center, a retreat center that had woods, or maybe it was somewhere out in the mountain or close to a lake or the ocean or something like that. I'm sure he would go out and and take advantage of that and find God there. Uh, we can also get some exercise. But really, what St. Jose Maria was, was most focused on was the Blessed Sacrament. You know, and he would spend a long time, a long time with our Lord, adoring him and just listening to him, to kind of like Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who was you know, lost in contemplation. And we could have that when we go on, on a retreat, we can go with that attitude of, of being like Mary and putting away the crowds of the Martha that we all have within us, you know, that wants to fix things and wants to take care of things. And, and that's why one of the the great pieces of advice in going on a retreat is put your phone on airplane mode so that you don't get distracted. And of course, probably we need to check our email every now and then, but maybe we can limit it to, you know, once a day or something like that, or or um, leaving things that can wait, we just leave them there in our inbox and we don't answer them unless they're absolutely urgent. Because the reason why we're there for is for our Lord. And we want to spend as much time with him so that we can renew ourselves and then go back to all those problems with a, a new outlook. Of course, this is a very tough journey. A retreat is like a journey. It's like going uphill. It's like climbing a mountain, just like our Lord climbed a mountain to pray. We may get tired. We may never have prayed that much in our lives, you know. I mean, St. Jose Maria made a retreat that was seven days long. Uh, most people, maybe, they cannot afford that time because they have other responsibilities, and that's fine. But, you know, maybe a day and a half or a weekend, start on Friday and then on a Sunday, that is very feasible for many people. And also cost-wise, it's, it's, it's uh, very feasible as well. But of course, you know, there's many saints that have done retreats and you even have um, people like, saints like St. Ignatius of Loyola who have a 30-day retreat and so on. Probably very few people can do those. Uh, not only because it's hard to do a 30-day retreat, but also it's hard to get away from family and responsibilities for 30 days. That that would be sometimes even for uh, someone in the world an impossibility. But a couple of days, that that certainly is possible. But regardless of how long it is, it is always an uphill journey. And if we look at Jesus' life, when he was baptized, right after his baptism, he was led into the desert by the Spirit, and there he was tempted by the devil. On a retreat, we may suffer temptation. Temptation, especially, I think, of despair, because we may we may see things at that moment that we haven't seen before, and, and the reality is that we may see how bad we are. You know, all our sins and all these things, kind of like, they add up. And we may say, well, is there any hope for me? And I think that's why on a retreat, 
what we have to do is, yes, examine our lives. Yes, take notes. Yes, you know, try to improve or try to make resolutions to improve in those things where we are going off the path. But also having a sense of hope and a sense of humor that we can change. If our Lord allows us to see something in our intellect, he's also giving us the graces to do something about it in our will. He's also strengthening our will so that we can overcome those things. Now, in order for us not to get um, kind of entangled in in a spaghetti bowl of our not-so-great past life, something that proves very useful on a retreat is actually to talk about what's going on in our interior life with the person leading the retreat, the priest, and get some spiritual direction, some spiritual advice. And of course, if you don't want to be known, you can always go in a confessional behind the the screen and you can consult anonymously and, and just, um, you know, talk to the priest uh, in spiritual direction or in confession and get rid of your sins and get some advice as to how the course of your life has been going and how it should be, um, how it looks going forward, you know, and, and what we can do to resolve to uh, improve with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. You know, St. Jose Maria, uh, in fact, made a retreat in the early 1930s, and he said, at the end of the retreat, he says, I have resolved again to be a saint. I know that I will get there. And then he adds, not because I am sure of me, Jesus, but because I am sure of you. See, we may be wretched, and we may see that, in a very tangible way on a retreat especially, but we also should be able to see the power of our Lord and know that where sin abound, grace abound all the more. And so we have all the means we need in order to be able to uh, overcome all our defects, especially the ones we are shown by the Holy Spirit on a retreat. Now, on a retreat... The same thing that happened to the apostles will happen to us. Jesus, it says in the Gospel of Mark, revealed to the apostles the meaning of the parables that he would tell the crowds, but in private. And so when we are with Jesus alone, he will teach us many subtle things that he will not teach us when we are out there in, you know, in the midst of our ordinary life. And, and it may be true that he can teach us anything, anytime, and hopefully he does. There's nothing holding him back. But, but a retreat is a special place in which, like in those parables, he will uncover the deeper meaning of, of his teaching, of the way to put uh, his love into practice with our friends and family members, in, 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 in the way we can uproot our 
sinfulness, etc. So many things that he will reveal to us in a in a very subtle way, because as we know, our Lord, he's not in the in the commotion, the big commotion, or in the earthquake, or in the in the big noise. He he's in the whisper, in the silence, in the breeze, right? Like it says in the Bible. He's he speaks very softly. And he just leaves it there for our consideration. Now, when we take on a retreat or the journey of this a task, this is the journey of a retreat, we need to be disciplined. Just like climbing a mountain, we need discipline because otherwise we run the risk of getting tired or, or not making it to the top. And for this, we need what I would say mortification or a spirit of penance. For instance, if we eat too much on a retreat, we'll be sleepy all the time and we won't get as much as as we could have gotten otherwise, you know. We should sleep at night, not during the day. And probably we should stay away from our bedroom because, you know, the bed is always very tempting, especially after lunch or something like that. We can eat okay, but not uh, overstuff ourselves. You know, some people give up alcohol or some people give up um, dessert or other things. There's a little bit, it's good to have a little bit of a spirit of mortification at meals. But also our curiosity, our, our focus, you know, the temptation exists also to start reading things, you know that have nothing to do with the spiritual life, maybe a novel or something like that. And of course, um, this may not be the right time for a novel. There's nothing wrong with a novel, but during a retreat, if you really want to read something that is less heavy, right, because you've been working hard on a retreat to read, well, about the spiritual life and, and so on, and to think about your own life, maybe you can read a life of a saint, which is more uh, anecdotal, anecdotical, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's lighter, right? It's not kind of abstract. And it's also inspiring. You know, St. Ignatius actually used to read novels. And, and he said that whenever he read a novel, he would be happy while reading the novel. But then as soon as he would finish reading the novel, he would be sad. Because those novels had vain things in them. He says, but when he read the lives of the saints, he would be happy during his reading and then afterwards because he was so inspired by what they did. And so if we want to read something, you know, we should bring a book that we find interesting. That is um, a lived example of someone who was given up their lives, their life, maybe like a martyr or or a saint that we are close to, that we want to know more about, or simply a saint that we don't know anything about and, and we just want to be surprised to see what people out there whom we have never heard of or even uh, met have done for God because there's always grace there. As we know, in the church, there is a variety of 
charisms, a variety of spiritualities. And we have to find the retreat that best suits us. You know, find someone whose spirituality you find um, amenable to your own. And that way they can preach to you more. Um, they can preach in a way that is more meaningful to you. And you will feel at home. It's important to feel at home on a retreat. Maybe bring a friend. And, you know, when the going gets tough on a retreat, you may want to talk to your friend or take a walk or open up your heart or something like that. That And that person can encourage you and you can encourage the other person too. I mean, it's, it goes both ways, right? And and it's these kind of long talks that where we open up and we're totally um, an open book that with a person we trust that really consolidates a friendship, not only with that person, but also we are confirmed in our friendship with our Lord by another person who's also struggling for holiness. You know, think of St. Paul, how he must have grown when he, on his way to Damascus, was blind for three days and he had to go to Ananias and, and, um, and be baptized, you know. For three days and three nights, he neither ate nor drank. So he was kind of on his retreat. That was the, the first retreat he made, you know. Um, and and he changed his his entire life, and he was able to find God in in a new way. He was able to come out of his blindness when these scales fell off of his eyes, and then he was able to become an apostle, you know. Hopefully something like that could happen to us that we begin to see life in a new way. And we begin again with a new outlook, a renewed outlook of finding God there where we thought, you know, we can only find the cross or suffering or uh, boredom. Well, no, if we find our Lord's cross, then after the retreat, we could see that that's a blessing. That's not a curse. That's not something to complain about. It's actually a, a beautiful blessing. And we can approach it differently as an opportunity to, to be able to purify our own life, our own life, or to use it to do penance for other people, or simply to send graces to many other Christians who are fighting in the world, you know, temptations from the devil. We can, you know, a retreat is a, is a great time for the communion of saints as well. Well, at the end of the retreat, the key is to not make too many resolutions. You know, you can make one or two or none. I mean, I don't know, just time spent with our Lord is, should be good enough, actually. But yes, we should have a plan. We should have some kind of book that we bring or a notebook and and so on. But I think one of the best things to do as well is, well, two things. One is to have a follow-up plan after the retreat so that we can check up on our resolutions. Because if we make resolutions and then we don't follow up with them, they go to waste. With 
we should try to do is actually make a plan so that we can check up on those resolutions. Maybe it's through spiritual direction that somebody helps us to follow up with those resolutions. Uh, but another thing in general, just, yes, have a plan, but leave room for the Holy Spirit. You know, you may go in with a plan, but you may come out surprised that the Holy Spirit led you in another direction. So a retreat is not something that we do primarily, but what we can do is make ourselves available to receive graces. And that's why we need a plan so that we're not just going out there, you know, and wasting time. But our plan should not be something that we are overly attached to either. You know, we should be willing to allow ourselves to be surprised by the newness of the gospel and by the insights that the Holy Spirit gives us in those moments. In fact, St. Jose Maria himself, when he was making a retreat in 1928, October of 1928, he saw Opus Dei. He saw what he was to do for the rest of his life. He saw his vocation at that moment. It was an extraordinary grace. And he attributed that not to himself and to the notes that he was reading at the moment in his bedroom, but to the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says he knelt down and gave thanks. And and he knew that his entire life would be fulfilled in pursuing this charism that he had just seen, as he always said, he saw, you know, what he had to do for God in in the world, which was to found Opus Dei. Well, let us um, be fond of Our Lady and know that she also made her own retreat when she was with the apostles. When Jesus left at the ascension, what happened? Well, they get, the apostles gathered around Mary, actually, and other women with the mother of Jesus and with the brethren, it says in the Acts of the Apostles, and they waited for the Holy Spirit for 10 days. That was the first retreat of the church, we could say. And St. Thomas Cominson says that the reason why Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit immediately is because he wanted the apostles to inflame their desire to receive the Holy Spirit. And so, that's the attitude that we can have when we go on retreat and we can ask our mother, we gather around her as well on a retreat so that the Holy Spirit too will come down upon us. And then when we do come out of the retreat, come back from the retreat, that we be apostles ready to bear witness through our ordinary lives that Christ has resurrected, that God exists, that love has the last word and not evil, that there is hope in the world for everyone, no matter how bad it may seem. And especially, uh, you know, for each one of us who have gotten to know ourselves a little more on retreat, and especially the, the dark side, the underbelly of ourselves, you know, that that there is hope even for me let us end with a hail mary hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god 
pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.